welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news and why. This week on Wind Up Weekly, wildfires continue to burn across California, Oregon, and Washington State. Following the bans on alcohol in South Africa, illicit sales grow. Champagne sales in the UK rise as the harvest comes to a close. Sales of alcohol halved in the UK during the lockdown, while the US adjusts to the new normal. And as ever, our wine of the week. So to start out with our week in wine, uh, we flew down to Los Angeles uh, this past weekend. Uh, So it was the first flight since COVID-19 hit. And in many ways, it was quite a pleasant experience. Uh, We flew from the Santa Rosa Airport, uh, which we affectionately call Snoopy Airport because of all the Snoopy and Charlie Brown statues. It's actually called the Charles M. Schultz Airport, named after the creator of Charlie Brown. Uh, Anyway, we had a pint of Russian River Blind Pig, one of our favorites, and then got on a plane with just about 20 people on it. Uh, So lots of social distancing happening. Everyone had to wear their masks, so it it felt quite safe. And the reason we were flying to L.A. or to Orange County, as it turned out, uh, was for a bachelorette party that I attended in San Diego. Quite an odd thing to be holding right now, but there you go. And uh, so me and my niece, we drove down to San Diego, and Matthew decided he was going to do some wine tasting in Santa Barbara. Little did he know how long it would take him to get to Santa Barbara from Orange County. Yes, I thought it was about an hour's drive, but it turns out Los Angeles is quite quite a big place. And we were on the southern side of L.A. rather than the northern side. It's actually a three-hour drive. Yep, we were right around Huntington Beach, so you actually had to drive all the way through Los Angeles. Isn't that right? That's what I discovered, yes. Perhaps it's best to check these details beforehand. That's one thing I've learnt. Or at least just ask your wife, who's usually right next to you. Yes, you're even more reliable than Google. But I did neither of those things. But anyway, it was a fun tasting experience and well worth the drive. It's only the second time I've been to Santa Barbara County and, it's, and you used to live there, Katie. You went to university. And we really should visit more often, shouldn't we? Um, I was surprised by how busy it was. I was expecting it to be quite empty, but there was lots of visitors from LA and San Diego wanting to get out of those cities and um, travelling locally rather than going internationally or to other states. So tasting rooms were full, although everyone was, of course, outside, and it felt like a really busy hub. Uh, many, maybe one of the benefits of the current crisis is that people are staying local on their trips. And I spoke to quite a few people who had never been to the area before, despite being from the West Coast. They're discovering Santa Barbara, and it's well worth discovering. And I visited a couple of wineries. Uh, one was Tyler, who make absolutely fantastic Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in Santa Rita Hills. Uh, the winery is called after the middle name of the founder, Justin Tyler Willett. And he's a local who started working in a cellar 15 years ago at the age of 24. And he sources fruit from quality vineyards across the region, but he now has an estate vineyard, which I visited, and which he is increasingly focusing on. And it's a great place to visit because you can sit on the deck and just look over the vineyard and the hills and get a real sense of what Santa Barbara, and particularly Santa Rita Hills, is like. And I also went to Holus Bolus and met Amy Christine, who's an MW, and her husband Peter. They've been making wine for around the same length of time as Tyler. They also make Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, as well as Rhone varieties such as Roussin and Syrah. And um, I'm actually going to feature one of their wines as Wine of the Week, so more on them later. But real indication of the quality of Santa Barbara, and that it's quite diverse, and it's vibrant, and it's developing quickly. A region to look out for. Yes, and there is a recent podcast I just listened to called uh, Roadside Terroir. Uh, it's by Brenna Quigley, who is a 
terroir specialist and geologist. And it was interesting because her second episode of the series is on Santa Barbara on and specifically on Santa Rita Hills and talking about the geology and the history of, you know, all the rock formations and the different soils and where grapes are growing and producers commenting throughout the podcast about, you know, their experiences growing fruit there. So all very top of mind for me. And I just recalled how fond I am of that region. We do need to visit more often, but I'll go ahead and link the podcast to the description of this episode. So you should check it out. Sounds fascinating. Um, at Tyler, they were saying Santa Rita Hills should be divided into four different AVAs because it's so diverse. That sounds unnecessary. Well, Justin was featured on the podcast, so he did say just that. Now on with the news. <laughs> Wildfires continue to blaze on the West Coast, not just in California, but now in Oregon and Washington State as well. Uh, We woke up on Tuesday to an orange-black sky with no sun to be seen at all, and it's really unusual to see so much smoke in Petaluma, which mostly, you know, in the past has avoided the effects of wildfires in California. Uh, Due to the Petaluma Gap, we get really nice airflow coming in from the Pacific Ocean. Um, But it's continued all week. Uh, On Wednesday... Uh, We went to Napa, where it's marginally even grimmer, and in Santa Barbara and SoCal, the skies were hazy, but nowhere near as bad as in Northern California. In Oregon, there are 37 fires active, burning over 670,000 acres with three deaths, while in Washington State, 330,000 acres were burnt over a 24-hour period, although currently there is no reported effect on the quality of grapes in wine country. And the skies are beginning to clear a little bit. It's merely hazy right now rather than that really apocalyptic orange-black. And um, it's been a really strange week. But smoke taint, whether it is damaging grapes or not, is clearly to be an ongoing issue for the rest of this harvest. Before buying grapes, wineries in California are asking for smoke taint tests from growers, which this week the California Association of Wine Grape Growers deemed unacceptable. The president of the CAWG... John Aguirre, added that numerous growers have complained that wineries have not accepted grapes until they had been tested for smoke taint, and that this would result in financial difficulties for many growers. This problem is exacerbated by the fact there is a huge backlog in labs for testing. ETS, a major lab, said that grape samples sent in on August 25th and 26th won't be returned until October 17th, although wine samples will have a faster turnaround. Aguirre continued in a statement, quote, These delays mean many growers face the prospect of significant crop losses and economic injury, and that no buyer should believe they are entitled to reject a grower's grapes without corroborating evidence. So it's a difficult situation, isn't it, Katie? Uh, we can understand why growers want to guarantee their grapes are sold, while wineries want to ensure the grapes they are buying are high quality. Though I'm not sure how either party can wait weeks to get confirmation, because you need those grapes coming in so you can make the wine straight away. Perhaps wineries are in a stronger position than the growers, given the bumper 2018 and 2019 crops mean that they can afford a smaller vintage this year, and maybe maybe it's actually desirable. But this is a situation that could get messy. Back to South Africa, which the pod has been reporting on since the COVID-19 crisis hit. As the regular listener will know, South Africa has enforced intermittent bans on all sales of alcohol since March. The aim was to halt alcohol-related illnesses and accidents, and free up space in hospitals. 
The drinks industry viewed this as a simplistic solution to the long-term problem of alcohol abuse. And this week, the South African Revenue Service commented that the bans on alcohol sales had caused problems, especially in illegal trafficking. The commissioner, Edward Kiesvetter, said that many illegal and criminal operators have found a market with honest smokers and drinkers, in his words, which previously they did not um, target, and they are embedded in the supply chain and it will take years to reverse the impact. And the South African drinks industry agreed, stating that the illegal trade in alcohol has, quote, increased exponentially. And this is the problem with prohibition, isn't it, Katie? Yes, it does sound similar to what the U.S. went through at prohibition in in the 30s. And we all know what happened there. I mean, it it was really disastrous for the wine industry. And, of course, illegal activities uh, continued, but... I think we're almost thankful for that because many wineries were able to survive because of that illegal activity. So will be interesting to see uh, what happens with South Africa and how the landscape changes with the wine industry there. It does sound like the government needs a long-term approach to this issue of alcohol abuse, but also sales of alcohol and how it is integrated into the culture. I think the decision to ban alcohol sales seemed a bit short-termist, not really thinking about the bigger picture. But hopefully the South African wine industry will um, bounce back from this. Sales of champagne in the UK have proved surprisingly resilient, bouncing back after the UK lockdown was eased. In the first few months of the lockdown, sales were down by 60%, the biggest collapse in sales in Champagne's history. However, since May, and especially over the summer months, sales have begun to rise, driven by rural locations because tourists are staying local rather than going abroad. However, city centers, particularly in London, continue to struggle as workers and visitors stay away. What happens next for Champagne will be a good indication of how the drinks and hospitality industries are faring. Meanwhile, the harvest in Champagne is nearing the end, with many unusual trends caused by COVID and climate change. The harvest is the earliest in record, beginning officially on August 17th, the sixth time this century picking has begun in August. Quality is likened to 2018, but quantity is going to be much lower, as one of the lowest yielding harvests this century, similar to 2003 when there was a massive heat wave. Yields are down in part because of regulations in the face of a difficult economic future, though it was expected to be a small vintage anyway due to it being a very dry year. Yields were set at 8,000 hectoliters per hectare, and many of the bigger houses are bringing in even lower yields of six to 7,000 hectoliters per hectare. All right, so the pod has reported on these lower yields before, and I think those big houses are quite happy with lower yields because it because they feel they won't be able to sell the wine, but they also have lots of wine in reserve as well, so they can draw on that. Much more difficult for the growers who are selling them grapes, so less money coming in for them. And then with the um, sales in the UK, it's interesting that champagne sales are back on the rise, though um, it looks like it could be a difficult winter ahead with further lockdowns being imposed, and the future is certainly very uncertain. But with those city centre sales um, down, one of the reasons the British government wants to um, get people back to work is that so they're spending money in city centres and on their commutes and their lunches and after drinks, after work drinks as well. And so you can see why um, the British government is keen for that. I'm not really sure what's going to happen next. Sticking with the UK, sales of alcohol fell during lockdown, despite the record increases in supermarket and off-premise sales. Volume fell from 2 billion litres in the lockdown period to 1.3 billion litres. 
although in the same period retail sales rose by £1.9 billion. Before the lockdown, 46% of alcohol in the UK was sold in restaurants, pubs and bars, and the rise in retail sales wasn't enough to offset the loss of that market. The on-premise market reopened in July, but it has been a phased reopening, so the uptick in sales has been gradual. As the off-premise market flattens, it's going to be interesting how drinking trends develop up until Christmas in an unpredictable environment. And in the US, the off-trade continues to grow, although at a slower rate than before, up 17.4% in August compared to 25.2% during the COVID lockdown. Sparkling wine has surprisingly seen the biggest growth in the wine sector, rising by 35.5%, but in general, US wines are being outsold by wines from New Zealand, Italy, and France perhaps because of value. Like the UK, the loss of on-premise sales is not being offset by the increase in off-premise sales, but again, as in the UK, sales in bars and restaurants are slowly beginning to rise. So it seems that these are international trends, and it's very obvious that um, on-premise sales are down quite significantly. But all these figures that we've been reporting over the last few months of off-premise sales with record highs still aren't enough to offset those um, those losses. So it's still a difficult time for the drinks industry, especially as um, the opening up of bars and restaurants is very slow and unpredictable. Well, and now as we enter into OND, or October, November, December, which are some very important months for wine sales, uh, will be interesting to see how those sales compare to last year. Um, but it is positive to see that sparkling wine sales are on the rise, and they would likely continue to do so, I would think, as we look towards the holidays. Yes, bubbles are no longer a celebration, they're a relief. Or both. <laughs> And now for our wine of the week, which is, Katie? Holus Bolus Syrah 2017. And where's it from, Katie? Well, it's from the Santa Rita Hills in Santa Barbara County. Right, so this is uh, one of the wineries I was referring to um, in the introduction that I went to visit. And they are quite confusing because they have many, many different names for their, their wine labels. So Holus Bolus refers to the wines that they uh, source from different vineyards that they don't own. They also own a vineyard called the Joy Fantastic, which um, they put on the label as the Joy Fantastic. And then the whole enterprise is actually called Black Sheep Vines. And then I discovered they also make a wine for a restaurant in LA, which has another name entirely. And so it can be a little bit confusing. But Holus Bolus actually has the coolest label because it's an octopus. And so you have the tentacles all spreading out and quite an eye-catching label, a lot of fun. The owners are Peter Hunkin and Amy Christine. They met in 2005 working together, and that's when they founded Black Sheep Vines. And Amy Christine is a master of wine. She is indeed. And it's quite funny just seeing an MW in a tiny tasting room in um, Los Olivos, which um, is a very bustling town, which um, a lot of tasting rooms there, more than I was expecting. And she was just serving people as uh, regular tasting room people do. Very hands-on, which I appreciate. And so we've chosen the Syrah as the wine of the week. It's absolutely fantastic. It comes from a Sebastiano vineyard, which is in the east side of Santa Rita Hills, 400 meters elevation, and it's made with 30% whole cluster. And it was interesting to try this wine alongside the Joy Fantastic Syrah, which comes from the west side of Santa Rita Hills. It's actually the most westerly vineyard where Syrah is grown. And this is made a little bit differently, 20% whole cluster, and not quite as ripe a style. And I actually preferred the Holus Bolus, I think. Both were very, very good. But the Holus Bolus just had a nice, really ripe, silky smoothness to it, which I really um, enjoyed. 
Well, I was sad not to have tasted the wine there with you and with Peter and Amy, but I was very fortunate that you brought a bottle back so I could try it. Yep, a great example of how Santa Rita Hills doesn't just do Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, but also does Rhone varieties like Syrup, and they work very, very well. Nice and peppery. Cheers to that. So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gohn. Join us next week for another Wind Up. And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. Cheerio! Cheerio!